Uh, this morning we're sharing about divorce and remarriage. And, um, you know, and that's a big topic. Why? Because more than 50% of marriages fail today. And uh, that number uh, seemingly is decreasing. But here's why. Because younger people are not getting married. That's why the number of divorces is going down. Because the number of people getting married is actually decreasing. So it's not that we're actually doing a better job of equipping people for marriage. People are specifically younger people are just saying it's just not worth it because they came out of broken homes. And so part of this series, and I want to remind you of this before I invite Joey to come up, is this. You're like, well, I'm not, I've never been divorced and I don't plan on ever getting divorced. Or, you know, maybe you've never been married. and You're like, I don't know if I'll ever get married. What does this apply to me? How many of you know somebody who's gone through divorce? Every hand in here can go up. If I asked how many of your families have had somebody go through, most of your hands would go up. You know, and so this is part of our society. And so this morning, and, and it really every morning or every time that we're sharing, keep this in mind. You're not just getting answers for yourself. You're also getting answers for other people. And so that when the, someone poses this question to you, like, hey, as a believer, is it okay if I get remarried? Like, what does God say about that? You can actually have an answer for them just other than, uh, I don't know. You can actually have something to give them. So... With that being said, listen for yourself, but also listen for other people. And I want to invite Brother Joey to come up. I believe he's got a great word to share with us this morning. Brother David was absolutely correct. Unfortunately, I have experienced a divorce. And I not only walked through it, but I ran a whole lot. Amen. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for this awesome day. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives. Lord, I thank you for helping us, leading and guiding us into all truth. Lord, you said if we just trust in you. Lord, you said that you would do that for us. And that's, that's the day is that we're trusting in on the word of God because that's forevermore the truth for eternity. So, Father, I thank you for showing it to us today. We make way for the Holy Ghost to reveal it to us and bring an understanding of the word to us that we can actually plug it into our lives And actually walk in it looking just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you with all of our heart. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so burning questions. Divorce and marriage, or remarriage rather. Get this dude to cooperate. Thank you. Um, Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew 19. We're going to pick it up in the first verse. So, you know, we've been taught over the years that when you read the word, you read it, you look at the word in the day that it was written. But how many of you realize that the word was written for us today, too? Yeah. Right. So it helps when we sit down to read the word that you put yourself in the story, put yourself in the example or whatever that may be. That'll do. That'll help actually bring to you. They don't talk like we did or like we do nowadays back then like they did. So different translations and things of that nature are a must-have, right? How many of you read the King James where it talks about these thuses and thous and twos? And by about that second verse, me, I'm scratching my head right thinking, what just happened? (laughs) Somebody help me. So number one, get a translation that you can understand. Amen. Let's pick it up in the first verse. It says, and it came to pass, this is Jesus uh, fixing to teach us about divorce. 
And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, and he came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for man to put away his wife for every cause? And Jesus answered, and he said to him, he says, Have you not read the scripture, that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. How many men folk are cleaving? I'm definitely cleaving with everything that's within me. So, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, or two, right? But one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man. Somebody say, no man. No man. Does that mean every man? Including woman, right? Amen. Let no man put asunder, or separate, actually one translation talks about. They say unto him, why did Moses then... Command to giving a writing of divorcement and to put her away. And he saith unto them, Moses, because of their hardness of their hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This was not the plan of God, right? When a man and woman came together in holy matrimony, that was supposed to be forevermore, right? Pick it up in verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall... Put away his wife, except for it be for fornication, and it shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Verse 10 says, His disciples say unto him, If that's the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were born so, from their mother's womb, and there are some which were made eunuchs of men, and their eunuchs which have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So I'm not sure how I got on that translation, but I'm glad that one's over. <laughs> so clearly, there's been a lot of debate, right? <laughs> Amen about you but I'm glad it's over Robert precious Lord don't forget me so clearly this is a difficult and thorny issue around which there's so much debate when I first started looking into this topic there was so many theologians right out there still scratching their head from years past saying what in the world is Jesus talking about what is what's Paul talking about so after today, both of us can actually look and see that any couple that is seeking a divorce today so are doing so on, on biblical reasons. And they, they, they say this, given many excuses, poor communication, incompatibility, financial problems, lack of commitment to the relationship, changes in priorities. And in short, when marriage isn't working, what do they do? I'm out. I'm out. Hollywood paints us a terrible picture of what covenant is supposed to be. Amen? Brad, Angelina, Jolie, remember them? Mm, I'm just not going to elaborate on any of that. Precious, the, the kids, right? There's like, there's like enough for a first string. There's six kids in the family. So what about the kids? 
So to give answers, short, short answers for the, first, for the first part of this, I wanted to read the questions and then just give you a short, quick answer of what I found, okay? And then we'll break down into actually what, what the Word has to say about it. So burning question number one and two, I kind of rolled up into uh, one question. It says, a friend of mine's wife passed away eight years ago. He's in love with another lady. Now, but because she and her husband's divorced without reasons in the Bible, he says that he can't be more than friends with her. Is this biblical or truth? This would be his understanding, of course, of the scripture. Of course, that's why we have to be very careful of who we listen to, what translations we are reading from, because it's all about interpretation, right? And who do we depend on to help us with that? The Holy Ghost, that's right. So to break it down, okay, so this divorce may well could have happened um, due to both husband and wife being an immature, and they just didn't know how to handle marriage as it was supposed to happen, and for what God intended it to be. I'm not sure of their actual status now, but the husband may have already been remarried, and it make it impossible for the, you know, the wife to go back or the previous wife to go back to the marriage, right? So if that's the case... Then the husband that lost his wife and the lady that he now is in love with should be able to unite. And I believe that's an accurate interpretation. I believe that that's the heart of God, right? And we're going to get into some more of this here in just a second. Uh, Of course, both of them being born-again believers. You know, darkness can't marry light, light can't marry darkness, right? You need to be born-again believers to be able to unite in covenant like that. Otherwise, the guy's just, we've already set him up for failure if that's the case. Uh, he's just sitting on the sideline, just burning. You know, he's like, oh, my gosh, he's in a lustful mind state now at this point. So why would you want to live the rest of your life like that under bondage of something that was actually dictated in the Old Testament? Why would you do that? How many of you would want to do that? Not me, Right? So, it's good to know that Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled the old covenant. (laughs) That's good news, Robert. Burning question number two. Is divorce okay? Short and sweet. No. It's not. And we'll look at Malachi here in just a second to explain some some more about that. Burning question number three. When someone has been married before and marries someone who is divorced, and they just divorced because of immaturity or Another reason not due to adultery or abuse. Can the new marriage still be blessed? Take a poll. How many say yay or nay? Yeah. I got a bunch of yays. You would have to, that would be what I would say. Yes. I'm a product of some of that, not all of it. But we, we do make mistakes, right? When we get married at 18, 19, 20 years old, how many of us make right decisions at every turn? If I could take some of those back, I would do it today. But I learned a lot because the world's going to teach you. It's not the best way to learn, but it's a teacher. (laughs) I'd rather learn from the Spirit of God. That's just just me. Amen. Because we're all human and all, right? But we do have Scripture to base that on. 1 John 1, 9. Amen. I'm glad it's there. Ain't you? So burning question number four. This is just, they started out with just a quick statement. It says, not all divorces end bitter and with lots of bad feelings, but we still need to recognize when divorce happens, who's that a product of? That's the separation of the enemy. He wants to divide, split and divide, right? 
Um, so, what if even though there were biblical grounds for divorce, you didn't want that out, you didn't want that to be necessarily the way out of the problem, they said, but just grew tired of fighting and actually gave up. You know, the Bible talks about not get weary and well-doing. Me and you are supposed to be able to stand. When we get tired of standing, what do we do? We keep standing, right? When you get tired of standing, stand some more. So, he said, I still have guilt of fighting harder to keep my previous marriage and feel guilty for giving up. says, I know it's not good to dwell on the past, but sometimes in some days, the guilt of not fighting and giving up is so overwhelming. How many of you have you got to that point yet where it's like, you know what? I'm give out. I just need to get somewhere and sit down and just be real quiet somewhere, right? Tired of fighting the fight. But what's, what's, what's worth having is worth fighting for, right? So it says, thank God for the power and the healing power of God. Lost um, my place here. What was the rest of that question? Oh, here we go. Thank God for Jesus and his healing power, but some days are just a struggle. Any suggestions? Well, how many of you know that the Bible is not just full of suggestions? It's full of answers. And that's the good news for me and you. So I said, yes, absolutely. Know that you are up against an enemy. One that is wanting to see you fall flat of your face. But we're up against the enemy that's already been defeated. Is that something that you and I did? Mm -mm. See, me and you, we lie in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So through the dissension and, you know, death, burial, and resurrection, and the ascension and seating, me and you sit in a place of authority over the enemy. And that's good news for me and you. Amen. Amen. So we accept the work that Jesus did. All we got to do is say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm in. And so you don't have to write me no letter. You know, to tell me that I'm already in. So, uh, so that you're up against the enemy who's already been defeated, but that doesn't stop him from trying to condemn you or, 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 uh, accuse you linked to a previous action, maybe in a marriage or maybe it could be anything, right? Because he is the accuser of the brethren and he wants to, he wants to cause you to give up, but we shouldn't give up. Should we? Jesus didn't give up. Bible said he could have, but he didn't. He stayed right there and took it from me and you. Made us a way possible. So two things that I want to establish right up front. Number one, God hates divorce. You say, well, how do you know that, brother? Turn with me to Malachi. Malachi 2, 16. Going to be in the NLT. So here we have God talking. He says, for I hate divorce. <laughs> That's really not a gray. It's like, I wonder what the Lord was talking about. No gray area there, right? I hate divorce. We don't have to try to figure out, and Lord, speak to me. What are you trying to say there? You know, maybe in a dream or something like that. Says the Lord of God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So us being new covenant believers, it's all about the heart, right? 
Number two, the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Turn with me to John 10. Take a quick look at it. John, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, again, the NLT, this is Jesus talking. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and to destroy his sole purpose. That's why the enemy comes to you. He said, but my purpose, this is Jesus, is to give you them, me and you, right, a rich and satisfying lives. That means I'm going to have a bazillion dollars in the bank. That's not the rich we're talking about, is it? No, no, no. We can be rich in him, and we are rich in him. So the, Jesus says the sole purpose for the enemy is to make your life miserable by stealing from you, by killing you, or by destroying your whole life from top to bottom. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I thought the Amplified was really good. It says the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, I found over the years that a lot of times people have a hard time deciphering when something happens in their life. Well, I wonder if that was the Lord. That can't be the Lord. I went bankrupt. Man, I'm sick. Well, it must be the Lord trying to put something on me to teach me something. How <laughs> many of you heard that? I'm so tired of hearing that one, I'm just blue. You know what the last thing I learned when I was sick? I don't want to be sick no more. So I learned it. I didn't have to tell me that or nothing. I just picked up on it because I'm just sharp that way. Right? I'm like, I'm glad that flu was gone. Good Lord. But a lot of people believe that. They do. The Amplified goes on to say, says, Jesus came that they, me and you, may have life and enjoy life and have it more abundantly to the full Till it overflows. We serve a net breaking God. We serve a a God who has like 12 baskets left over when he gets through feeding the hungry. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know the Lord can count. (laughs) Right? He knew exactly how many fish it took to not break that net. Still had probably plenty. But he broke their net. He said, throw right over here. And they did. Net broke. They're like, now i got to mend my nets. Now it's time to go to work. They ate good, you know, but then they had to work on their stuff after they got through. I thought that was kind of funny. I said, Lord, you're just an overwhelming God, and that's who we serve. One that's more than enough. So I looked at the voice translation. It says, the thief approaches. So when he comes to you, Robert, when he comes to you with malicious intent, this particular translation said, Looking to steal, he's looking to slaughter you, and he's looking to destroy your whole life. Anybody remember what malicious uh, looks like? It's having or showing a desire to cause harm to someone. That's what the enemy's sole purpose is, to cause you a lot of grief and stuff. So, the enemy would like nothing better than to come between you and your spouse. Man and woman to cause division. Why do you think that is? He knows exactly how powerful a man and woman can be in covenant together when they're serving God with everything that's within them. I'm talking about devastation incorporated. 
The devil can't touch you anyway if you know who you are in Christ. And that's the problem. A lot of times people don't know who they are in Christ. Y'all remember the seven sons of Sceva over in the book of Acts? I got to laugh right off the bat. That was, the, that was terrible. But they deserved it, right? The Bible says that the enemy whooped them naked down the street. <laughs> because they tried to do the works that Paul was trying to do. I could see old brother Paul sitting over in the shade with a glass of tea and living. He said, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I knew it was coming, but I wouldn't go tell you. <laughs> that was funny. I read that. When I first read that, I read it a hundred times more. Just sit there and just lay. I was like, them boys, them boys. So how many remember the vow that they took when they got married? I know a lot of us remember the vow, but how many of us actually understood the vow at the time they got married? Because that's the key, right? That was the big deal. My vow kind of went something like this. It says, I, Joey, take you, Angie, to be my awful wedded wife. Oh, that's lawful. I'm sorry. I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and your faithful husband, to stand with you in riches and poverty and in joy and in sorrow and sickness and in health, forsaking all others, as long as we both shall live. (laughs) Covenant. That's covenant talk. That's lifelong covenant talk, commitment. This is what I committed to her. Marriage is a big deal in the eyes of God. It's nothing that Hollywood portrays. Married today, divorced tomorrow because you woke up late and I had to eat something out of the pantry. Stove just as cold. <laughs> so, reel them back in. Most common references concerning divorce. So, what are the biblical reasons for divorce? Number one, sexual immorality. Matthew 19, 9, I talked about that a while ago, and we read through that whole chapter there. Number two, abandonment by an unbeliever. First Corinthians talked about that. Brother Paul did in the seventh chapter. So even in these two instances, though divorce is not even required or even suggested. Why? Anybody remember what we read a while ago in Malachi? God hates divorce. So the most that can be actually said about sexual immorality and abandonment are they're just simply an allowance, right, for divorce. God's way, number one, God's way. This is God's heart when it comes to divorce. Confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration are always God's heart. How can I make this work? And he'll show you if you ask him. If you're having problems, it's no step for God. God can get you out of there with one word if you take heed of the revelation. And say, you know, I've been battling for 10 years trying to figure this out myself. And God said one word and I stepped right into victory. Boom. Just like that. That's the kind of net breaking, 
overshot 12 basket God we serve, right? Amen. That's good stuff. Divorce is simply an attack of the enemy. So I want to read you something here, just a brief history that I typed up here about divorce in the old days. And this is where people get high center today because they're living in an old covenant mindset or old heart set. Divorce in Israel back in the day was a domestic matter and not something that actually went to court. A man could simply divorce his wife by giving her a document in writing. He'd sign it off, hit the road. Appreciate it. See you never. Having this document, a woman could marry again. She had to have this document in order to be able to do that. This was especially important for the woman for economic reasons because most women didn't have a source of income. So she had to have, she had to have her ticket, so to speak, right? So a lot of them that didn't turn to prostitution in those days because they needed money to support themselves. Uh, so under the Old Testament, a woman seldom had any voice at all in the, in the choice of her next husband. The women, women took it on the chin back in the day, right? Because it was allowed. It was just the day of the culture. Her father sold her to the man who desired her. Somebody say, thanks, Pops. Appreciate that. If she pleased the man, he kept her. If not, he had a legal right under the Mosaic law to return her to her father for the purchase price. Mosaic divorce was a concession by God. Divorce includes the right of remarriage. And that was under the law, right? The certificate of divorce released all claim of the husband on the wife. So God gave the Mosaic law about marriage and divorce to who? Does that mean you? Mm -mm. That was to the Jew only, right? Stay with me. The Mosaic law was never supposed to govern the nations that were around them or the Gentiles who lived among them. Never. In other words, from the time of Adam sinned and he fell until Jesus came to redeem because we serve a what? We serve a redeeming God. To redeem mankind, man was never able to have the divine type of marriage that God had intended in the very beginning in the garden. He couldn't. He could not do that. Why? Because they were not born again men through the new birth. With, with the nature of God dwelling on the inside of them. Aren't you glad that that's not me and you? We're born again believers. Me and you. Serving the creator of heaven and earth. Living the dream. And that's what it is. It's like, it's, man, this is nuts. Being a Christian, being a born-again believer, to, to get up every morning and know that you serve and you're being under the direction and being led by the creator of heaven and earth. A lot of people get up first thing and they hit Google. <laughs> or bang or whatever it is. Trying to find out, Lord, what I need to do today. Google can't tell you. can't even come close to God's insight and God's wisdom. Amen. So they were not born again believers. So the Jews were natural men living under the law, redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats. Aren't you glad we don't have to have blood, bulls, and goats on the altar today? We can come in and stand among our brothers and sisters, shoulder to shoulder, worshiping and praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Freely. Not at gunpoint, because we want to. 
because he deserves everything that we can give him. We can't even come close to repaying him back, but who wants to, right? He did, did all the work. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be right. <clears throat> so in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he says, Haven't you read the scriptures? You don't have to turn there. Jesus replied, They recorded that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joined, somebody say joined, joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Pastor taught on unity here a couple of Sundays ago. Excellent. But that's the heart of God, right? For me and you to be one with our spouse. Not working against each other. Polar opposites, if you will. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. No one. No man. Nothing. Let no man separate. Verse 9, Jesus said to the Jew, under the law, whosoever puts his wife away except for fornication and shall marry another commits adultery. But Jesus didn't say this to believers. Jesus said this to the Jews. I don't see any Jews in here today. So after Jesus refers to God's original purposes for marriage, he then asks, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Moses, right? Moses Day? The Mosaic Law? Okay. So make sure I'm on the right track here. It says, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus answered, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. It wasn't supposed to be that way. God made it clear right then, standing there. It wasn't supposed to be like that, guys. He said, I say unto you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality or an unfaithfulness, right? And marries another woman, commits adultery. And of course, we read through all that in Matthew 19 a while ago. And then, Brother Paul steps into the mix. To add a little bit of confusion, over the years, and this is where all the theologians and all the guys scratching their head, and this is where the confusion came in. <clears throat> Paul introduced an exception to divorce that Jesus didn't mention at all. 1 Corinthians 7, turn there with me if you will, if you got your Bibles with you, iPad or iPhone. Or 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Let's pick it up in the 15th verse. And Paul said that if an unbelieving spouse decides to leave, the Christian spouse is not under bondage to the marriage vow. A lot of folks were scratching their head. They said, well, wait a minute. Now, Matthew 19 and then 1 Corinthians 7. Hmm. I'm going to have to come back to that and walk off and just forget the whole thing about <laughs> This has been a, a puzzle for years and years. But how many of you know that God's word is not a puzzle? It's the truth, the everlasting truth. So that's why we have to lean on the Holy Ghost to help us and lead us and guide us. Lord, show me what you here. He'll show you. <clears throat> so Paul here is seemingly contradicting Jesus. This is, of course, talking about the desertion piece, right? But remember, 
Jesus, Matthew 19, was interpreting the law of Moses to who? To the Jews. While Paul in 1 Corinthians, in 7th chapter, was showing how the law of love applied to the church. And who's the church? That's me and you. So question, how many remember the law of love? Let's read it right quick. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. <clears throat> A second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the key. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's what it just said. Yes. Jesus came. Law fulfilled. We're not under the law anymore. Aren't you glad we're not under the law anymore? Amen. We're under the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the law of love. One translation says that all these commandments hangs on these two commands. So quick overview, right quick. Matthew 19, Jesus was specifically answering a question about what was lawful according to Moses. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul was answering the question, what would love do? What would love do? What would Jesus do? He is love, right? This is the so-called contradiction that is really no contradiction at all. It's clear. It's one, two, three. But there's been so many people, and it, hey, it's, that's the bad part about deception. You know what the bad part about deception is? You don't know you're deceived. <laughs> It's the work of the enemy to keep people ignorant of what the word of God is truly trying to communicate. So however you interpret these passages, one thing is perfectly clear. God never ordained or created the institution of divorce. Never. Man did. <clears throat> Jesus went to, on to remind the Pharisees on in the, in the sixth verse of the 19th chapter of Matthew of a better law. He mentions the statement and commandment that God had given Adam at the very beginning. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's pretty clear. In the Old Testament times, it was not uncommon for a man to have many wives. Plurality of wives, if you will. Well, I'm so glad I... <laughs> Lord, help us all. I love you, but I just won't want the one. That's, that's my, my doll britches down there. So, <clears throat> so which one, if that was the case, which one would he, which one would he become one with, right? If he's got five or six. So man in his fallen state didn't have the love of God shed abroad in his heart. So until Jesus came to redeem mankind, no one could fulfill God's law, ideal of marriage, because man was dominated by the sin nature. I'm so glad that you and I as born again believers are not dominated by our sin nature. Now you can yield to it because of the suggestions that the enemy suggests to you every day. People say, I wonder if that was God talking. I ah, couldn't be. It's God good. It's really simple. Let me run it. God good, devil bad. 
So if it doesn't help you and lift you up and get you into a right place, that's probably the enemy talking to you. Just saying. Going out on a limb. So until Jesus came to redeem mankind, no one could fulfill God's idea of marriage because they were dominated once again by that sin nature. But two born-again believers, that's me and you, full of the love of God can fulfill Matthew 19, 6. We can do it, me and you, and become one with our spouse. Hence divorce today because people are operating mostly in the flesh today. You can look around. Man, people are operating in the flesh left and right. Many Christians Operating in the flesh, left and right, and wondering, can you please God by doing that? The Bible says you can't do that. So, many are getting the result of it today. So maybe we botched up a few things in our life over time. I know I have. I mean, right, if I, if I, could, make, if I could do it all right, one step at a time, I wouldn't need Jesus. But I, I botched it up. I made a pretty good mess of it. And so Jesus came on the scene and turned my whole life around. And here I stand today when I ought to be dead. But I'm not. I'm alive and well. Ministering the good news of the gospel every chance I get. So how many of you thank thank God every day for 1 John 1, 9? I think about that every day. So 1 John 1, 9, if you've not looked at it lately, let me just remind you of what it says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The voice, I thought, was outstanding. But if we own up to our sins, God shows that he's faithful and just by forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things that we've done. I thought that was really good. People try to... Hanging the, the, or the, the enemy tries to hang the condemnation over your head like there's no way out. This is how the enemy works. You going to let them talk to you that way? Man, they can't talk to you like that. Y'all, y'all don't know each other like that. You better go, you better go say something to them, give them peace of your mind. And then you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, that's right. My mom and daddy didn't raise no fool. That ain't going to work for old Joey. Uh-uh. No, no, no. They don't know who they're talking to. And then you march over there, right? And then you give them a piece of your mind. And you walk away. That's what I'm talking about. And then the enemy says, what'd you do that for? <laughs> well, you look like a fool when you went over there. <laughs> But that's the way he works. He sets you up. and you, I mean, he, it's like old big bass, Robert. You throw it out there next to the old stump, you set him up. You tempted him. Boom, he falls for hook, line, and sinker. He tricked you. You fell for it. <laughs> we got to be careful of, there's many voices in the world. He's one of them. The only way the enemy can get into your life is through your thought process. He can't make you do nothing. You've got to allow him to do something in your life. You say, well, I got the devil on the run. Oh, that's good. No, I'm running and he's chasing me. <laughs> that's what it should be. We're up, against, <laughs> we're up against a defeated foe. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I am so tired of watching Christians get run over by the enemy. I could just scream. 
we serve an awesome God. So, if you're contemplating divorce, remember, God's plan is to redeem. A very few spouses who consider divorce have done everything that they can do to salvage their marriage. If you're looking to legitimize your reasons for divorce, we slow down. You say, that's divorce, split. So, right now, you automatically know the enemy's trying to come against you. This ain't rocket science, right? But we, a lot of times, are so directed by pride. It's like, man, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I, I'd just soon live by myself. And you make it all happen. You get everything in place. You get the lawyers and all. Go to court. You split everything up. Homes, goods, husband, wife, kids, everything. Bust it up. That's terrible. Amen. Go to the Word. Notice how much of the Scripture is given to God's messages of forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, understanding, and patience. Listen for the voice of God. Right down in there, we were taught several years ago, there's a little part down in there. It's called the basement. We just stop. We ain't no big hurry, right? We just stop and listen until you can hear. Pull yourself aside. Get out of the hustle and the bustle. Get somewhere real quiet and say, Lord, I, here I am. Show me what you want me to do. I'm listening. I'm all yours. And I'll do it. When you consider how much God values a covenant, what are the obligations of your marriage covenant before him? Last three bullets here. Will you be patient to wait for God to work in your marriage in a way that you've not considered? Will you look to him to give you the wisdom, the resources, the encouragement that you need to to go above and beyond what you could ever imagine him to think? And ask God to show you what you can do to rebuild your marriage. Remember, God specializes in remembering the unredeemable. It is his preeminent desire for your marriage to be successful. A man and woman going after God with everything that's within within them. Mark, the third chapter talks about a household divided against itself cannot stand the amplified says if a kingdom is divided split into factions and rebelling and against itself that kingdom cannot stand and if a house is divided against itself that house cannot stand the house has yielded to the enemy and the house is hurting the house the living bible i thought was really good in closing A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. If you've got strife in your home and you're fussing and fighting with your spouse, that's an attack from the enemy. We've got to be smarter than what we're working on. We've got to understand that, you know what, that's not God trying to pull us together, us fighting and all the time, right? That's the enemy trying to split you apart from your spouse. We have to recognize the traps of the enemy that's key recognize the trust the only way you can understand on how to get around those traps and avoid those places that cause you to get high centered you come out on the other side looking just like the Lord Jesus Christ see the bottom line is that the enemy cannot touch the child of God unless we allow him to that means that 
we give him place. Somewhere down the road, we gave him place. Whether it's what we're listening to, the things that we allow ourselves to get wrapped up in and submerged in, those are the traps of the enemy that is just keeping you distracted from the from being kingdom-minded, right? James says, neither give place to the devil. That should be an action on our part. We have to live life on purpose. It's not going to happen on by accident. I guess for some people it may do it, but you've got to live life on purpose. Create the atmosphere you want you and your spouse to live in. Create the atmosphere that you want your kids to grow up in. If they come home, mom and daddy's always fussing and fighting. Daddy stays out till one o'clock. Mama ain't been home two days. That's an attack from the enemy. He's trying to split you up. Don't yield to his direction. It, it'll only equal death. Remember Jesus talked about it in John 10 a while ago. He said, I've come that you might have life. But this guy over here, he's trying to kill you smarter than that though right because we're born again believers we got the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us the creator of heaven and earth when I step out of my front door every morning is leading and guiding me into all truth one step at a time and I got him right here in my peripheral vision all day Lord what do you want me to do who do, you, who do I need to talk to thank you for the right words and the right things to say when, that, when an opportunity comes because we're out there to affect people right and you can't do it well if you know that when you get off work, you got to go home to strife and contention, to a home that's there's no peace there. That's why a lot of a lot of people that are not living right for God come to church is because they walk in here. Usually, if it's done right, there's peace in here, and they just sit down, man, just just breathe. It's a good place. I like this place, and they have some sort of mindset, decent mindset, when they walk out those double doors. <laughs> 